Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Everyone and welcome to episode 578 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How we doing today, Joe? Perfect. Perfect. I'm nailed. doing perfect, and that intro was perfect, Todd. Oh, I'm nailing them lately. Nailing them. Lately? Uh, yeah, sure. All the time. Let's just say it's the start of a new streak. Oh, I'm, I'm like the guy from Chicago in MMA. The guy from Chicago. Chicago. Your buddy from Chicago. I don't know. He's doing something else now. Giving away ice cream bars. I don't know. The comic book writer? Yes, the famed comic book writer, who who I heard is going to have his own uh, creator-owned project soon, hopefully, when he finds the time between championships. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, I well, we talk about that more on uh, at odds with wrestling, but uh, you know, uh, Phil's, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a hate anymore, but it's a definitely like, uh, you know, he's doing a lot of things that I'm, I'm okay with this. This is maybe putting some chocolate back on that uh, giant chocolate bunny he's taken so many bites out of. Are you saying he's smoothed some of the corners over? The sharp corners? Yes. Okay. It's not perfect, but it's not bunny as Bunny ain't as big as it used to be, but it's starting to look more like a bunny again. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So, would you like to know what we have on the show, Joe? I do. Do we have anything to discuss on our comic book podcast today, Todd? Yes, we do. Comic book news, actually. Um, bags and boards we're going to discuss, Joe. And also uh, second printings from a certain company. Um, also conventions and my time at Baltimore Comic-Con. Uh, digital sales. What we read last week, which was both uh, a reckless book, Destroy All Monsters by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and Thor 18. What we're looking forward to this week, a whopping large uh, uh, Todd and Joe have issues um, also Todd's art attack, pigskin pickums, maybe if we remember, and at the end, spoiler filled talk of Stargirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and Why the Last Man. The uh penultimate episode of Why the Last Man, and I think we're also getting to the end of Stargirl here, but it's just gonna be consistently like two to three TV shows going on at all times, I think, for the next couple months. Right. I think it's actually going to be after next week, it's going to be uh, streamed down a little bit again, maybe. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We shall see. So, uh, comic book stuff, as you mentioned, the uh, printing issues that we've been hearing about, seeing about why a lot of books have been late. Uh, obviously, we discussed a couple weeks ago how Penguin has kind of gotten a little bit better on shipping their books and where the issues come in there is literally when issues come into the stores and they're damaged because of printing issues, they can't get replacements out to those shops for weeks, if not months, if at all. Now things have gotten so bad that many stores can't even get the supplies in. And that is, uh, as Todd mentioned, bags and backs and boxes for comics. 
So I know our store has had golden age bags and bags in for the last several weeks, but just bags of everything else and no backs. So, you know, uh, you need to protect your comic books. Yeah, um, bags and boards, actually. But, yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, stockpile a little bit when I, you know, heard rumors of this coming. So I have a few to get me through. But, uh, yeah, they don't have even stuff for the counter. Like, uh, you know, usually if a customer wants to get two or three or, you know, like to go with whatever they ordered that week or bought that week, there's there's nothing. And uh, boxes, I think he maybe was saying that they could get long boxes, but short boxes are impossible to get and luckily uh, our good buddy dj had a bunch of short boxes a while back that he was getting rid of and i scarfed them up as fast as he was willing to get rid of them so i'm pretty good but we'll see with the paper shortages like you know how long this is gonna hold out yeah i I, i'm kind of in the same boat as you where about a week before i was starting to run low like usually i'll look to see what i have at home Mm mm-hmm and I'll see, like, okay, this is what I did for this week. This is how many I need for next week. How many books are coming out next week? How many do I have? And I'm like, okay, next. Then, like, as as long as I'm good for, like, two weeks, I'll go and I'll pick up more. And that's what I did. Like, I got them right as the shortage hit. Right. So if you need a few, I might have a few extra after you run dry. Because I know you're the bigger uh, collector on this show. No, no, if you look every week, you know, we don't do the uh, dollar amount or even the physical number of books. But, uh, you know, more times than not, I think you got me beat on the physical number of books anyway. I agree. And I don't ever want to do the price again. So No, no. (laughs) I even stopped uh, tallying on the uh, spreadsheet, the price for myself. You know, like I can go back through my bank statements and stuff and just see everything. Uh, as I need to, but I don't need to. I, I know what I'm spending on comic books. It's my only vice. Right. I know what I'm spending on comic books, and it's too much. Right. But... And I don't even want to dip into those Golden Age bags and backs, you know? Right. I have a I have a bunch of Golden Age bags still. Because remember when we were selling, when we would go to cons, I would fill like, you know, eight, ten comics and one and do a set. And they'd be nice in golden bags because they would have the uh the the they would be able to hold more yeah and then i also have a bunch of magazine bags and boards that i just bought just so i have because of stupid black label books are oversized right but now the the black label books i don't put in bags and backs i should you think they fit in the magazine ones yeah they usually do every once in a while like when i was getting and the one that i remember the best is the question miniseries uh, that the Jeff Lemire, uh, Dennis Cohen one, that three of them fit in the bags. And the one I had to kind of like do the little U to get it in the bend. And, but mm. otherwise for the most part, black label, uh, books fit in the, uh, magazine size perfectly. Because right now I don't have enough to like put them into a box. Cause then like you would need like a magazine box for them even. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up getting a magazine box a while back because I just had like three of them. And I was like, I have nowhere to put these. So I just put them in the magazine box. And then over the course of like between the uh, the dam, the Harley, the Batman dam, the Harley Quinn, the question, there's a suicide squad squad one that I'm buying uh, that I was like, okay, I have 12 or 13 of these now that makes a magazine box worth it. Okay. I just have them on my shelf for now, you know? 
That works. They actually work if you have a deep enough shelf. They work as like, you know, like you you do books. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So, you know, I think our local retailer said that he had a line on bags and backs, like on someone in like Greenland or Newfoundland or something. Well, I was hearing that, too. And I don't know, because I talked to a former employee over the weekend and he had said he had talked to him that I don't know if that felt because it was somewhere out of the country. And then he said, I think maybe that fell through, but he's not 100% sure. So we'll see. Though I should take my extras and see what they're going for online. Maybe I could. Yeah, you should. Maybe I can make a, you know, do a little uh, flip ski, if you will. Oh, boy. Don't get into that world. (laughs) A little uh, bag and board opportunity, if you will. Hmm. Well, we're talking about printing costs and we're talking about things being uh, shortaged, shortaged. And so forth. Uh, Quietly, at the beginning of the month, uh, Image informed retailers that for the foreseeable future, they will be no longer doing second printings on any books. Wow. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean... I guess that has something to do with, like you say, the, the paper shortage. But collectors now, oh boy, if they if that first printing, you know what I mean, that hot book, if an image book becomes the the, the book that's hot or whatever, I just look at that as that's 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 really interesting on what could happen. Right, uh, and again, of course, they say that there'll be limited stock for reorders. But again, once whatever that stock is of a first printing is done, it's done. They're not going to be doing second or whatever printings. Um, that they said that they are going to attempt to readjust their schedule, of course, uh, for the next couple weeks and months, uh, so that they're not printing like seven books in one week and like one book in another, you know, to kind of even things out a little bit, yeah, uh, to make better use of the materials that they have allotted to them. Right, right. Wonder if they'll change up if that has anything to do with final order cutoff dates too. That I was wondering as well. Uh, there was nothing in the press release about that, you know. Right, because I hate when like they put a one out at like the end of the month, so you don't know if you like it. So the next month you have to order it before you've read two. If you get what I'm trying to say, like you don't get that that time. And if that's going to throw off, it's like, all right, well, if we if we could do these and get you in before the final order cutoffs, you'll know how well your books sell. But the image is going to want issues every week. So uh, if you get kind of what I'm saying, I don't know. I just I just think it'll be weird. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, and it definitely sounds like it's not going to be like a permanent thing. It definitely sounds like it's going to be something that hopefully they'll be able to course correct. Now, the other thing, of course, uh, that I wonder is, let's say that this is something that image decides to do for like the next like three months or four months or six months or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say things turn back around and there's more uh, resources available to them. Do they look back on those last six months of books and make the decision of like, okay, we had demand for X. Let's start reprinting more of these. Right. Right. Or do they even look at what they have and go like, you know what, that worked. We're going to stay away from printing second prints unless it's you know like a smash like sensation kind of a deal um and because we were wasting our time over printing this stuff too you know what i mean like i think it will be but it's also like a, a an experiment to see what ways they're going to do stuff 
but because of the paper shortage, they really have no choice. Right. So. Well, hopefully one thing that there wasn't a shortage of was books and things for you, Todd, this past weekend with your adventures to the Baltimore Comic-Con. No, there was no shortages there, and there was no shortage of money flying out of my pocket either. Um, but I had a, a great time at the Baltimore Comic-Con, as we always say, our favorite con. Um, I will say right off the rip, um, like COVID protocols, co- co- like closely adhered to. Like as soon as you showed up, because I was wondering how it was going to be. As soon as you showed up, before you even got into the con, like the sliding doors open at any door. Well, I'm not going to say at any door. The doors that I was coming in from the the hotel. um, There was somebody sitting right there. And if you did not have an orange wristband on that they gave you, you know, one of those uh, like concert things or whatever. uh, It was like, okay, you haven't been here before. Come over. I want to see your ID and your either your card or a photo of your card. Or I guess they might have other ways too, like online or whatever. But I walked up. I you know I had my mask on. Uh, here's here it all is, and they gave it to me, and they were okay. And then anytime you came in, you couldn't get in through the door without showing like you had to hold up your hand with the with the wristband on. And then masks were 100% of the time had to be on. I and I will say I did not see anybody out of masks other than in the uh, or designated eating areas. Like they had tables and chairs set up people at their own booths. Like when they were uh, like sitting away from their table for a minute, like, Oh, I'm taking a break, having a drink of water, whatever they were sitting there when they were dealing or whatever, they'd get up and put their masks on. And the one time I was walking around and I saw somebody without a mask. Um, it was actually at the near the Baltimore gimmick table itself where they were selling, like, you know, Baltimore Comic-Con, glasses, masks, T-shirts, stickers, whatever they had. And the one guy's like, hey, you have to, you know, wear a mask. And the guy, I, I laughed because the guy put his hands up like, oh, I'm not wearing one. I'll touch my mouth. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, yeah, you got you have us all fooled there. Uh, you know, what a great actor. Here's your Academy Award. And the guy's like, and he's like, oh, can can you give me a mask? And he's like, I can sell you one. I don't have like masks here at like the, the surgical masks here at my table or anything. He's like, okay, well I'll be back. And he walked off. And now the guy was in complete, uh, camouflage, like the gray camouflage, uh, not the green, but the gray. And he walked off. And as soon as he walked off, he walked down the aisle. Like they had cops on the floor, like actual Baltimore police, and they were like, come over here. He's like, guy over there, like, didn't have a mask on, doesn't have one. He's wandering around. And he explained to him, he's like, you're not going to miss him. I was like, I don't know. He's wearing camouflage. You might not be able to find him. But I don't know what happened because I didn't, like, follow it. But they went, and, you know, they went in his direction looking for them. So I was very happy to see. Like, I felt comfortable, if you get what I mean. with like For sure. Like, with people on the floor and around. And I was like, I don't, you know, put any doubt into what Baltimore did. They had everything covered and like i said after that i did not see one person without a mask so i applaud them for that well that's good to hear of course uh how packed was the floor uh i guess that's another good question it was i would say you know in all honesty like you know it wasn't as packed as it it, it's been in the like a normal year you know what i mean um, but it was brisk. There was, there was, there was people there. I would say in my past, uh, years that there was more, but, 
Um, in a way, I kind of liked it because I wasn't trolling elbows, if you know what I mean. Sure. But uh, it was still, there was people, like, you know, lines were waited in if you wanted to meet somebody kind of a deal. But all in all, um, more breathable. But uh, it was still, they did good business. So any other uh, interesting stories, meet and greet with folks, uh, any get recognized, any sort of stuff like that? I didn't get I didn't get recognized by anybody or there was any of our fans there that I know that I know if they were they didn't run into me um but I did get to like I you know while I was getting stuff I got to uh talk to Tom King obviously like he was busy and he wasn't you know like not taking interviews or stuff like that but uh we were talking and I was just basically I told Tom King I'm like I'm really looking forward to the human target he's like oh thank you thank you and I'm like, okay, I'm a big JLI fan, like die in the wool, like JLI fan. Don't do me wrong. Like I wasn't being jerky about it. I was like joking, like winking at him. And he's like, oh, don't you worry. He's like, I'm going to do you right. He goes like right off the bat. So it'll make you feel better. We have Nort. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. And I go, but please don't do, don't do my rocket red Dimitri, you know, dirty. And he goes, oh no. He goes, Dimitri's in it. And you know, he's a crazy bleeping Russian. So you're going to enjoy that. And Joe, he didn't use bleeping. Just so you know. Okay. So uh, that was cool. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to try and, you know, stay to the heart of the matter and everything. And like, I don't want to give too much away, obviously, because, you know, he can't, but I was happy to hear you know, that, uh, that the human target should be, uh, pretty good. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And the other one, I talked to Cliff Chang, I, I don't know how to say his name, Chiang Chang, um, who did that recent Catwoman. He did paper girls with Brian K Vaughn. Yeah. yeah and, sure. uh, he, we talked a little bit about his Catwoman book that he just put out about how he was proud of it because like, you know, usually he's working with, you know, writers and stuff like that. This is him doing both and everything. So, and how, you know, he, hey, he was able to bring a bunch of them to, to, to get out to the fans and he would sign them and everything. He was working on a, he has an, a, a Wonder Woman uh, remark or doodle that he'll do for anybody. But I was like, oh, do you have a Catwoman? He's like, oh man, I was supposed to work on a Catwoman doodle like the Wonder Woman so I could have it ready for this show, but I didn't. Um, so next show, um, I was like, okay. So I ended up getting, uh, the, the book that I knew she already had for, for Becky. Cause she's a Catwoman fan. And I was like, Oh, okay. I, she already has the wonder woman doodle. I thought, you know, maybe I'll just get this sign. He's like, Oh, well let me try something. And he was nice enough to do a little thing. He's like, ah, I got to really work on that for next time. Like something better. And I was like, ah, that's good enough. But, uh, that was kind of cool talking to him. So, um, did you and get also, a chance to, uh, shake down, uh, Brian K Vaughn? No, but he was checking into into our hotel next to us when we did. Gotcha. Uh, so, but I was kind of like, you know, I want to do, but you know, it's like, what is, uh, what's the name on the reservation, Brian K. Vaughn? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Saga's awesome. But I didn't because that didn't seem like the time or the place. You know what I mean? Sure. And then he had his like, you know, he had his times at the table, and they were. They were that was brisk business, you know what I mean? Like because he had the double signing with Cliff for Paper Girls at one point, and then um, I forget who else he had another signing with somebody I think that he had worked with. So he was he was really working, like doing like get not only his stuff but promoting like his friend's stuff and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, got to shop. I got some artwork for myself. I managed to get your half of your Christmas gift. Oh, okay. 
So I'm um, looking for I'm I'm really looking forward to giving you giving you that. And I hope you don't go buying anything between now and Christmas that uh, that may trip me up. No, uh, unless you got me the uh, Raven uh, Sad Scotty Flamingo resin figure that I missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um, or somehow you got an early pre-order link to the Brody Lee and or Eddie Kingston action figures that are coming out. That's what I got mark. you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the next two months, at least I'm not buying nothing for myself. Right. Right. Um, and the highlight, the highlight of my weekend was talking with Chris Schweizer from, uh, six, uh, sidekicks of trigger Keaton. Yes. So he was there. Right. And I wish I could find the website, but I, but I lost it now. And, and Joe, if we ever have a guest on a show, he's like, I kind of want to have him on, um, because he's, he's fantastic. Oh, I actually have it here. So, um, we're talking and he has a great setup. You don't know the show Deadwood, do you from HBO from years and years ago? I'm aware of it. It's like a cowboy show or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the town of Deadwood and when they were building it up, everybody built up their little storefronts or their stuff out like they, like a wooden table booth kind of a deal. He has his set up like a Deadwood, uh, booth in the town, um, because he loves Westerns and everything like that. And I was like, okay, that's fantastic. Um, he sells prints of movies that he does. And I got to talking to him about that. And I was like, oh, like you do these prints. I'm like, do you ever, do you do them just the movies that you like? Or do you do like, like what you think will sell? And he goes, because I really should do what I think sells. He goes, but I only do movies that I really like. I may have done one that, uh, that really sells that, that, that I thought would really sell because like he had a Raiders and a Last Crusade one. And he's like, but I'm always hassled to do Temple of Doom so I could have the three of them. And I even had a guy. I commissioned me and he's like, but, but, um, I just, I, I, it's not my favorite of the movies and I I don't really want to do it. And then we ended up getting into like a 10 minute discussion on what was better Raiders or last crusade. And I mean, he was, he was really a blast to talk to. And we ended up talking and like, I found his website and I'm like, is this you? Because it doesn't look like you. He had shaved to have a tight to, uh, have a tight uh, fitting with the mask. So it didn't kind of look like him as he was doing stuff, but he has on his website. And I I wanted to do a little bit about all of them. He's like, before coming a cartoonist, Chris was a hotel manager, a movie theater projectionist, a guard at a mental hospital, a martial arts instructor, a set builder, a church music leader, a process server, a life drawing model, a bartender, a car wash attendant, a bag boy, a delivery boy, a choir boy, a lawn uh, boy, a sixth grade social studies teacher, a janitor, a speakeasy proprietor, a video store clerk, a field hand, a puppeteer for a children's television show, a muralist, a kickboxer, and a line worker at a pancake mix factory. And I'm like, I want to get a story about each of those. Because <laughs> he ended up telling me about the uh, mental hospital. And it was the mental hospital that... Uh, uh, John Carpenter visited or got the idea for ha- Halloween from. And I'm like, this guy is awesome. And I just want to talk to him forever. And he's like, but you know, he's selling stuff and he's doing, yeah, stuff. sure. I didn't want to keep him, but he's like, Hey, if you ever want me on the show and I ended up talking six, I mean, you know how we, we feel about six sidekicks for, for sure. I, I had a blast talking to him about the art, like the little things, like little things and working with Kyle Stark, like the, the bit where Terry Komodo, um, 
he does why he doesn't do falls anymore because you know what trigger keaton did to him and i was like i like the little bit where you have him falling with the shadow and the shadow isn't on the 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 bag the airbag so that makes that shows you that trigger didn't care and he's like I'm glad somebody saw that. Like, that's what we're going for. And then I was like, I like the fight scene in the, in the, in the edges that were like Sergio Argonis. He goes, yes. He goes, I was talking with Kyle Starks and he's, he's like, okay, well I have to do this fight, but I don't know how to work it in while I'm doing all the dialogue. And he's like, well, I'm just, you know what? You do whatever you have to do to move the story along. And I'm just going to do the fight scenes a la Sergio in the margins. And I'm like, this is fantastic. So we were kind of on the, the same page about all that and how we worked with Kyle was fascinating where he's like, like he, I don't mess with his dialogue and he doesn't mess with my like visuals, like the fight stuff kind of a deal. Unless he tells me like, and I'm just making stuff up now. He's like, all right, you get to do the car chase, do whatever you want, but I need you to ding the fender on the car so they can go to the garage in the next scene to, you know, move the plot along. And that's all he really tells them when he does like those vast fun art scenes. And I'm like, this is absolutely like fascinating listening to him do um, the uh, like discuss how he did with Trigger Keaton. Then he broke my heart when he told me all the art for Trigger Keaton is digital. And I just sobbed. I sobbed for 10 minutes. And then uh, I ended up uh, asking him for a sketch, which we may or may not talk about later. All right. Well, I'm glad you had a good time at Baltimore. Right. Um, Best show. Like I said, Looking forward to there it. There are week. other conventions going on this weekend, of course. Uh, obviously, if you missed out on Baltimore and you enjoyed hearing Todd talk about his adventures, meeting folks, doing things and stuff. Uh, you, if you were in the area of any of these conventions, uh, you could check out the New Mexico Comic and Film Expo in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, no surprise there. I think Albuquerque or Santa Fe are the only two places where things were allowed to happen in New Mexico. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Jim Lee is going to be there uh, on the comic book side of things, Uh, but so are John Glover, Kevin Conroy, William Ragsdale, and Amanda Bierce. Oh, uh, we're like one person away from having a Fright Night reunion there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, sir. I didn't think of that. Uh, What's the Sarandon? What's the, I can't think of it. No, it's it's actually Susan's brother. (laughs) Um, Is it really? Yeah, he was the lead in that, and he was also, like, the detective in, like, Child's Play and a bunch of other stuff. He was, like, a big deal actor in, like, the mid to late 80s there and those sort of genre picks. Susan giving him the rub. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Fan Expo in Denver, uh, Colorado, of course, is taking place. Uh, Mike Grell, Tony Harris, Mark Russell are going to be there on the comic book side. (laughs) Uh, Media guests include Michael Rosenbaum, Michael Rooker. Uh, William Shatner and John Lovitz. Oh, yeah, I know him. For sure. And then the Cherry Capital Comic Con. Uh, Ryan Stegman is going to be there. And world-famous wrestling announcer Tony Schiavone is going to be there. I know that name from somewhere. Tony Schiavone? He was the the voice of her childhood. Oh, well, somebody's childhood. If you watched Mid-Atlantic Television in the (laughs) 80s or Georgia Championship. Anyway. Of course you would know. So, if, so he's he's currently on AEW. Uh, he's one of the 19 commentators they have on there. Right. I, I always say he's the dragon from the Magic the Gathering sets. Siobhan Dragon. Tony Schiavone Dragon? I always pronounce it Shivan Dragon or Shivan Dragon. But well, I get it'll be, the, 
Right, right. Uh, but the 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 thing that was funny about the Cherry Capital Comic Con, all throughout the branding on their website says that it's taking place in northern Michigan. Right. Which is kind of like a big sweeping area. Michigan's a big state. It's even broken up into two sections, you know, because of the lakes and everything. Mm-hmm. And I had to do a lot of digging to find out that it's taking place in Acme, Michigan. Oh, where the coyote gets all his stuff. Right. Where the old grocery store that's, I think, out of business now. Right. Where the old people, like the people in my family, the Acme. (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought it was funny that everything on the website is northern Michigan, northern Michigan, northern Michigan. And like nowhere on the site does it say Acme. You'd really had to dig Mm -hmm. to find that information. Uh, But the links to all of those uh, will be in the show notes, of course, with this episode, along with information about soon-to-be-named network, soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, all the shows in the network, uh, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Oz with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Porch Talk, Hit My Music. And, uh, I don't know, let's say, uh, Prodigal Sons Podcast and, uh, Prime Defective 2. Why not? Mm, I didn't even do Prime Defective 1. Okay. You said Prime Defective 2. I said I didn't even listen to Prime Defective 1. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, my for God. For the longest time, Prime Defective, the worst rated, uh, Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation podcast on all of iTunes. Well, I think there's been some more since, like, like they brought it to that, like, CBS Plus right. streaming service that, you know, it's got competition, if you will. And Fresher and Parlance, too. I don't think they've had an episode in about three or four years. So let's plug everyone, you know? There you go. So, uh, like I said, links to all of those will be there. Uh, check out our friend Kevin's website, uh, Masked Library, for all the comic book stuff that he does there. Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, all the cool resin and glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy wrestling figures that he does. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. Both of those comics are available through Comixology. Those are from listeners of this show, so definitely check them out. Uh, also check out our comic book shop, Comics on the Green. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, be sure to check them out. Set up a mail order subscription service with them, whether you do it weekly, whether you do it every two weeks, whether you do it monthly. You ain't getting any bags or backs. I'm sorry. They're out, they're out of stock currently, <laughs> but they'll make up for it with a sketch from our friend Becky, who's doing commissions and puts her process out on her social media, which all of that is linked up on uh, the episode Page here as well right we have uh digital sales this weekend if you're more of a digital person when it comes to comic books and outside of marvel having a separate ghost rider sale we are currently in the midst of everyone finally has their horror sale marvel or their halloween sale marvel dc dynamite boom dark horse image and valiant all have some sort of halloween or horror or something sale going on uh, until this upcoming Monday. So it is officially now spooky season for digital comics. Right. So. And I guess it's time to move into what we read from this past week. There you go. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with uh, 
a reckless book, Destroy All Monsters by Ed Brubaker and Sean Murphy. Um, basically, it's the story of uh, Reckless and how he met his assistant at who was both on cases and at the movie theater, and uh, the case of a local politician whose father, uh, both they were both minorities, who hires Reckless to like look into this guy who basically partnered with them to get the the father alone because he couldn't because you know of racism at the time, and he ends up like using things in the contract to basically steal the land out from under him and ruin the father, and he ends up dying from a heart attack. So like he takes on the case uh, and basically things don't go exactly, you know, as, as it should, it doesn't go smoothly. Um, and we find out certain things about the, the, the character that he's, uh, you know, following and everything. That's very interesting. But the thing I love the most about this book was the fact that they were talking about reckless getting older and starting to miss a step. And as uh, I'm like 40 some years old, more towards 50 than 40, um, that I, I like re- that really resonated with me. And then the origin story, I believe her name is Anne, um, just like how he met her and her backstory and how things sort of fall apart between the two of them and like kind of what he does to kind of make it better. Um, that to me is the best part of the story. But the uh, the detective slash story, noir story is is really good, too. Once again, it's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. What what are you going to do? You know, can't they never do anything bad? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot more to this than just that, because it is, uh, you know, essentially an oversized graphic novel uh it's essentially four or five issues of a book uh all together and that's the main story but there's like i said so much more that's going on here the relationship between ethan and anna um the thing that starts to drive the wedge between the two of them uh there's the dirty diaper caper that may have been the beginning of the end for them mm-hmm. um And again, I don't want to give too much away because you really should be reading these. And I'll ask you, Todd, can you read this without reading the others? I actually think so. Um, Okay. You don't think so? Uh, No, no. I only say that because, like, obviously you shouldn't. You should read them all because they're all awesome. But I'm just trying to think, like, I don't have, like, I can't remove that part of my mind where, like, I'm coming into this fresh. And to know whether or not this gives you enough information to dive into this as like the third or fourth book in the series. I think it does. I think obviously you always get more when you read the, you know, the before it. But I really think the only thing that he ever tips his hand on that, like, you'd be like, I don't really understand that is like he talks about being distant and not really having emotion because you have to go all the way back to the first book where he was on a case for the, you know, who he worked for and he ended up being caught in the explosion. And ever since then, his emotions don't like work, work wonky. Um, I think that's the only thing that just doesn't come through, but everything else with Anna and uh, him is just, it, it, cause that's the, 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 the crux of the story. Like obviously the, the, what the case he's on is what it is and how it affects his relationship. But th- that's the only thing I can think of that you really need to know from it. Right. So again, like I said, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Like, obviously I recommend this. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's Ed Brubaker. It's Sean Phillips. They don't make bad comic books together. And this appears to be the way that they will be making comics 
Uh, we haven't gotten the official announcement of the fourth book in the series yet, but I'm sure that's coming very soon. Yes, because that's the one thing that I will mention. I don't want to give too much away, um, but because he's done it in other books, it makes me like he talks like he's still alive today in all the books. Right, Ethan, right. Right, because he'll be like, oh, if, you know, when you do this today, like, like you would never get away today with what what I'm doing right now. And that's like getting records. Like back then it was like somebody had to go and look them up. And I'm like, okay. Unless of course, like I've read a lot of noir books where somebody's talking from beyond the grave. You know what I mean? Um, but he sets up things with like, he mentions Anna's future and other stuff and how the relationship goes, but like little clues. So definitely we're getting another book, but I feel like this is like, Maybe like four books, if you will, and then it may be done. I don't know. Go on to the new thing. Right. I I, I seem to recall him saying that this was going to be like a four book series. Right. Which would be good because like I, I always want to see something fresh unless it's criminal. Like he can always go back to criminal. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. But uh, he, he always seems to have a different new idea, some way to go. For sure. And we talk all the time when we've reviewed stuff like this or reviewed criminal or some of the other stuff that he's done recently, uh, you know, Pulp and All My Heroes Have Been Junkies and that sort of thing, where we, I feel as though, and we're like, oh, this this was like an inspiration from somewhere. Or mm -hmm. he's getting too much into the minutia of this, that he interviewed someone to get their story and he kind of used their story to adapt this story, right? Right. So, obviously, don't want to give things away, don't want to give away spoilers, but, of course, how things kind of end up. How um, our villain kind of comes back into the picture, let's say. Right. I, I can't imagine that happens somewhere else. I have to imagine that that's something that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips cooked up all on their own. I don't know, it could have. I feel as though something like that, we might have heard something about it. I mean, but in the 80s, maybe maybe it did happen. And, you know, you, you know, what were you, three? So. Well, I, again, there's stuff that happened in the 60s and 70s when I wasn't alive that are talked about pretty heavily, you know? Right, I get you. But I do like, and this doesn't give too much away, I do like learning about the stuff. And he says in the back of the book that he looked into it just because he did he wasn't really around california time but like the highway the court the corridor like yes. what that did to people that was fascinating and then learning about geography what it meant to move onto the other side of the highway yes like, what a big thing that was and i'm like it's just on the other side of the highway and they're like no and they explain it and it's like all just laid out like brubaker almost knows what he's doing when it comes to writing yes for sure so the other book that we both read from this past week was Thor number 18, written by Donnie Cates, with art by Pasquale Ferry. Uh, as we wrapped up last month's issue, uh, it appears as though Molnir has gone missing. Mm -hmm. Someone has stolen Thor's hammer. And if the cover wasn't a spoiler enough... Uh, after he goes to Loki to get assistance to try to find his hammer, Loki figures out that it needs to be someone a little bit more low profile, someone who can kind of slip in and out without being noticed. And uh, this is when Thor goes and enlists the help of Throg. Doesn't he have like another name like Puddle Gup or something? 
He, I think he has a name within his frog community. Right. But it'll always be Throg, you know? Right. But this is such a mission. Um, and again, I don't know, you know, obviously Throg is a character that's open to uh interpretation, right? I guess. I don't I don't have many Throg stories under my belt. Okay, so I don't think even if you've read every Throg story ever in this issue where not only is it his Ocean Eleven style team building uh, story where he's getting his team together that's going to go help hunt down Molnir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thor is doing his best to try to keep it a secret. <laughs> Throg says to him, well, I, I did. I knew four days ago. Yep. That's a great bit. And I like the bit where Thor goes to see Loki. And I like the fact that you, he, he needed someone more low key than low key. Um, yes. And he, uh, he, he gives him the speech and then right out of the gate, he starts giving Throg the speech and the Throg just shuts him down. I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, though. Did you notice the one small mistake in the whole book? No. Okay, so what's what's the job that, you know, he's looking for somebody to do? Find his hammer. Yes. Well, when he shows up at Throg's place, Thor is holding Mjolnir. No, like, get out of town. Yeah, just drawn right in the issue. He's like, um, shows up with like teleports in or like lightnings in, flies in, however. And Thor is like, Throg's like, oh, well. And Thor's standing there. He's like, oh, I hope I haven't interrupted anything. And Thor is holding his hammer. Then the then after that, it's gone. So like uh, Donnie Cates said on his uh, Twitter, he's like, yep, that was just a mistake. We're going to fix that in post when it comes to the trade paperback. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. A lot of people looking for no prizes, Joe, for that. Mm. So remember no prizes? I do. I got a no prize from a, you know, friend of mine who's a writer for Den of Geek, where he had posted up some sort of uh, Marvel video game strategy guide Mm -hmm. cover. And he's like, Deadpool appears on this cover. No prize to whoever figures it out. And it was just like whatever the um, whatever the strategy guide was for the fighting games or whatever. They just took a whole bunch of like repurposed Marvel art from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was an issue of Deadpool where, again, it was uh, one of the Mark Wade written Deadpool miniseries where he takes on Black Tom and the Juggernaut and the cover is Juggernaut with Deadpool in his reflection. And they just use that shot of the juggernaut on the cover of the thing and never touch things up to take the reflection of Deadpool out of it. Right. So, like, they just use that. And I'm like, oh, there's my no prize. Ah, see, because I remember no prizes being like a thing where where they're like, why was Thor have the hammer that he had lost? And then you would come up with a stupid explanation. And if it was plausible enough, they would send you a no prize. Right. It wasn't a no prize, just like an empty envelope. Yes, that said no prize on it. Yeah. Uh, but I like this. This was fun. Um, I I like Pasquale Ferry as an artist. I felt his art on the animals looked a lot better than his art on the people in this issue. I would 100% agree. I really liked like all the, the characters for his team and Throg himself yeah. uh, much better. 
Uh, but there's a jumping on point for this story. Uh, you know, no announcement has been made of if and when Donny Cates is leaving this book. I know a lot of people have said that maybe uh, the book has been a little bit too heavy, a little bit too brutal, a little bit too bloody. I, I feel as though unless they were going to get like some sort of third act swerve here, but it's, you know, Throg assembling his team and it feels very lighthearted. I heard rumors Throg's going to get possessed possessed by carnage and murder everybody. Oh, That's the no. rumor. Come on yeah. now. Don't so. do that. So that's what we read from this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, start doubling and tripling them up in golden age bags and backs. <laughs> Boards. Todd and I attempt to, I'm just in the backs. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I'm currently in the lead over Todd with one correct guess. Yes, and I go first. So looking over your list is the book you're looking forward to most, Batman Long Halloween One-Shot? It is not. Oh, what is it? Uh, I'm excited for that, you know. Uh I have like all the other Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, uh, Batman stuff. So it's just like, I got to get this, you know, that's filling that collection. Uh, but what I'm most looking forward to coming out this week is uh, crossover number nine. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I really love crossover. Uh, I like where the story is going. And we had a little bit of a delay on the book, but maybe it's back on track for now. That's kind of the thing that like kind of knocks it down for me. And I have a list of books that are like that. So uh, when you're late, it kind of takes the, the, the shine off it, but mm. yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, Talk to me in January about a book that's late. Let's see how much shine is on that. huh? <laughs> Wonder what you could be. It's almost like a saga waiting for that book. But uh, what do you think I'm looking forward to Joe? Mm. So I'm looking at your list. Nocturnals is not new material, right? No, that's an omnibuy of all uh, re like re reprinted stuff in one book. Sure. I know how you felt about that. I know where you are with that. I'm doing my gazint as I apologize. You're fine. Let's take a shot and say the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target number one. It is Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target number one. Um, there you go. I really like the idea of this team. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a natural team up. Like, Green Arrow, you know what I mean? Batman seems natural. But there's just something about Aquaman. Like, arrows don't work underwater, and talking to fish doesn't work on land. Mm -hmm. So, we'll see what happens. Right. And that is one of those crazy mismatched teams, tandems, whatever. Yep. That doesn't happen very often, um, as you mentioned. I can't imagine there's more than five Batman or uh, Aquaman Green Arrow team-up stories that exist currently. Right. Um, please, if I'm wrong, let me know. But yeah, I just I, I just feel as though that's uh, that's an interesting concept. Uh, I know you're more into taking risks on books like that than I am. So uh, yeah, that puts me too ahead of you, huh? Yep, and I'm working on my cover blurb for the trade, Joe. You want to hear it? Sure. It's it's a fish-out-of-water duo that hits the bullseye. 
Come on, you could just put Todd Roker with that. <laughs> Don't associate think... my name with that, please. Oh, Longbox Heroes right on there. Right. That's fine. Todd Roker, Longbox Heroes, but don't put like Todd and Joe, like Todd and Joe have issues or something, you know? Right. Speaking of Todd and Joe have issues. That's right. Uh, So we had to read from this past week, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 232 and the big giant graphic novel Jonah Hex No Way Back. Right. Uh, so you started the show, so you get to kick things off talking about Spider-Man. Right. Um, so basically, like you said, I have Spectacular Spider-Man uh, 232, Dr. Octopus. Joe, do you know she's armed and dangerous? Um, I heard. So the issue starts off with Trainer trying to get out of the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Digital a world that he's in, uh, virtual reality, blah blah blah, and he's just about to find his body again. But uh, his daughter has shown up, and they end up unplugging him from the mechanical thing so he can't get in. Um, cut to Ben at his apartment, and Peter and Mary Jane have showed up. You know, blah blah blah, talking about like you know uh, all the stuff that they're back because of the skeleton story and he's rabid for Jay Jonah is of uh, stuff about Spider-Man and he's the guy. So he comes back and because they're on his generous dime to get these stories, they basically get a tour of the apartment with air shaft and everything. Um, ben whips out his skeleton, which is, you know, like, Oh my God. And they're like, Peter's like, he was right. You did steal the skeleton. And he's like, yeah, I, I did. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Is it the original clone? Another of Jackal's clones? Whatever. We got to look into this. And he's like, and if you were in the spider suit, you would have done the same. And Mary Jane's like, he's right. You would have. So they're like, oh, we don't know what to do. We should take it to trainer, but he's in a coma. Um, then all of a sudden there's uh, the doorbell rings and it's Jessica. And they get into this like, oh, we got to into this wacky hijink sitcom thing where we got to zip up the the body bag but all the bones start falling out and they rattle around and they're like you gotta you gotta hide or go out the window and this is where i find out that uh ben ben's like you have to go out the window he's like i lost my power he's like what and so i didn't know that but they say it's see spider-man the final adventure on sale right now um, he's like, all right, so we're going to do the Patty Duke show thing, which is a timely reference in 1990-whatever, never mind 2021. <laughs> so uh, she comes in, and they end up being like, oh, it's my identical cousin. Um, and she's like, oh, he didn't mention it. Yeah, it, does, it just doesn't come up. And they have to, like, kick a bone under the couch, and um, and it just gets, gets funnier and funnier. And then she's like, uh, and I, by funnier and funnier, I mean lamer and lamer. Um, so to distract her, Peter ends up saying that he's a photographer and she's a photographer. So they start discussing it while that happens. Trainer somehow comes through the TV and starts talking about like what's going on, that his daughter's going to at the hospital come save me. So, uh, they come back in the room. He's like, Oh, what is it? He's like, Oh, it's the weather channel. And he's just doing bits like, Oh, tropical storm Carolyn, which is Doc Ock's real name. Like, okay, so they get out of there. Uh, uh, Jessica leaves. Ben's like, I'm going to go look at it. He's like, I'll come with these. Like, maybe when you can start sticking to walls again. 
He gets at the hospital, and there's Doc Ock in her best Karen wig, Joe. Mm. You, would just, you would describe that as a Karen haircut, right? Yes. So he ends up taking the chart, and he's like, she's a felon, blah, blah, blah. She rips off her uh, thing to reveal a costume. They go at it. Two of her henchmen end up stealing Trainer's body. Um, Peter, uh, ben ends up, you know, beating her up by slamming her head into a car, which I thought, and I'm sad that I remember this, from past Spider, or uh, this Doc Ock stories, didn't she wear a helmet so this kind of thing couldn't happen, Joe? Yes. So, okay, she they end up taking her away in a special concrete, Street jacket. I don't know. Um, trainer ends up waking up saying, Glad, you know, I missed uh missed you and you know, thanks for helping. He's like, I gotta go. I'm still wanted by the cops for you know grave robbing. Um, Ben goes home and or, or no, he goes over to Jessica's apartment because you know of everything that they were gonna get together, but he had to go do that. And he goes in and she's in her dark room and he opens it up and it's filled with pictures of Spider-Man. He gets this uh weird things like uh oh what's going on here and obviously we know that she's fascinated with spider-man and we already know why because i guessed it a little while back all in all a really pretty bad story joe yeah so this more or less was included in everything that we did here to wrap up uh the sewer trainer stuff and wrap up the uh daughter doc ock sort of thing I'm almost certain that this is the last time that we see her, and this is just how he got out of the virtual reality space that he was living in. Uh, who was the writer on this again? Was this a Tom DeFalco issue? Was it a Todd DeZago? I just closed my issue, if you get what I mean. I'll have to look. Yeah, I'm looking now. I apologize. Because there certainly was Todd DeZago, Yes. Uh, with, uh, inks by, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti. Just throw that out there. Yep. Uh, a lot of, like, sitcom stuff in this. Yep. The, the, the Patty Duke stuff. There's a reference to Dr. Bombay. Uh, I think at one point, Peter or Ben says that Jonah is making a mountain out of a mole man. And where that's a, uh, reference to actual Marvel villain, the mole man. Or right. Hans Molman from The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, but this is just kind of wrapping up this. Uh, things are going to move a little bit of a faster clip. Like we jump ahead a month in storylines. And then we jump ahead like five months to get to the end. Because literally like nothing happens in those periods. Oh good. Anytime we can jump ahead I'm good with it. Yeah. So uh, I had to read uh, the Jonah Hex No Way Back. Uh, oversized graphic novel collection what have you and uh justin gray jimmy palmiotti and tony DiZuniga was the artist on this yep the creator of jonah hex okay so again i and th- my only complaint about this would be is that tony zuniga's art in spots not all over but in spots gets a little muddy Right, and I forget, he might have been 78 at this time, too. Right, and that's why I don't want to kind of beat up too much on it or, like, really harp on it too much. But there's a lot of, like, 
And I, if I was more the person, like, to get into, like, who was inking what, because there's stuff that he was inking as himself, and there was stuff that he wasn't inking, and if I was to guess the stuff that he was inking is the stuff that looks a little bit more muddy than other stuff. Um, that being yeah. said, you know, this definitely reads like a collection, like, this could have been broken up into single-issue stories. Yep. But I think you had told me that it wasn't because this was coming out to coincide with the Jonah Hex movie. Yes, it's either when this came out or the month after. Like It was. It was right around the Jonah Hex movie. I just can't remember exactly. Sure. But And I looked it up. He was 78 when this came out. Okay. Uh, so this is a Jonah quest. And it kind of gives you a resolution to someone who we've seen several times uh, in the Jonah Hex stories. And I feel as though in hindsight, this is someone I was, and again, so it's, it's Jonah and El Papagayo, right? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like the resolution of their whole thing, their whole rivalry. I think this could have been set up throughout the course of the story arc. To maybe do more to set Papagayo up as a Jonah nemesis. Okay. I think it's, I mean, obviously you're only reading the Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. And he only right. two appearances. Where, like, there's a later on, and I'm not going to jump too far ahead in the story, where he runs down the list of, like, crimes that Jonah has done to him. And they're all stories other than the one that was in this run. They're all in the old uh, Bronze Age run. So as I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, Papagayo, like, the, you know, his longtime nemesis, if that makes any sense. Right. So and I, I think they could have done more to establish him as a longtime nemesis in this run. Mm-hmm. But in this, you know, I'm not saying that this is a bad story by any stretch of the imagination. I really enjoyed this. I'm just kind of trying to get my nitpicks out of the way. No problem. So uh, Jonah comes back. He's completed whatever bounty, whatever mission or whatever it is. Uh, that he's had to do. And while he is doing Jonah things. Now I will also <laughs> say this. Uh, we don't use this sort of language. Uh, on the show here. Uh, but Jonah certainly makes the acquaintance of many women. In this uh, in this story. Yes. In the many, saloon. Of- many women. Yes. This, I think the barkeep even says he's going through them faster than he can replenish. Right. So while he is doing such, someone comes to deliver a wanted poster specifically to him that there is a $10,000 reward for Virginia Ginny Dazzleby, Mm -hmm. who is Jonah's mother. Yep. We get a flashback to when she had left Jonah uh, to go off with Mr. Dazzleby. Um And so forth, we get a prolonged sequence of Jonah's horrible, abusive father being horrible and abusive to him. So now Jonah is on the trail to find uh, whoever put this bounty out on his mother and to possibly find his mother. Uh, While out in doing so, Jonah runs acquaintance of a dog named Dag, or at least that's what Jonah names him. And I will say it was nice to give Jonah a bit of a heart in this by having him have the dog be his acquaintance. Yep. Cute dog. Right. 
Uh, so, of course, as Jonah is attempting to find his mother and or the person who put the bounty out on his mother. There's lots of death and destruction, of course, in the wake of everywhere that Jonah goes to. He comes to a town where on the outskirts of the town, there are some people who are harassing the Native Americans there, uh, taking their smallpox ridden blankets to go to give to more people to infect them with smallpox. Yes. Not realizing that they themselves will probably be getting smallpox themselves. But Jonah, using some old-fashioned Western medicine, shoots one guy's arm off (laughs) in the hopes to prevent the spread of smallpox. I I assume that's the reason Jonah did this. No, he just did it because he was being ornery, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Uh, So while Jonah's doing this, a small child comes up to him and is like, listen, I I saw... The woman that you're looking for, they took her. They said they were going this way. I don't know what they were doing or where they were going, but they said this is where they were going. Right. Right. Uh, so. And, he, and he's like, I know it definitely was them. I heard them say her name. So Jonah gives the kid like a wad full, a wad full of cash, mm-hmm. which was very nice of Jonah to do. Again, it's nice to see Jonah have a heart every once in a while. Right. In these two scenes now, he's nice because they're going to use the small pox blankets to infect more Indians. He has a, you know, an affection for Indians, even though they mistreated him, white fawn, all the people he grew up with. And then once again, he gives money to a kid because he has a, you know, mistreated kids. He has a, his heart for it. That's a running theme through these books. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But it's, it's still nice to see. Regardless no, I get of, you. I'm just explaining. Yeah. That's all. So uh, Jonah has now headed himself to Arizona on the trails of these people. And it turns out that these folks uh, have been scalping uh, children and claiming that they are Apache to sell the scalps for money. And they do have Jonah's mother who is infirmed and interned and sick uh, at this saloon. Jonah comes in, makes short work of these folks, of course, because he is Jonah. and. Jonah goes up to confront his mother in regards to all of this. Uh, Jonah makes, uh, initially makes offense, which is usually the way that Jonah makes with pretty much any woman in his life, of the barkeep here. And, uh, you know, Jonah's mother seems to be in a bad way. She thinks Jonah himself is the devil. Doesn't believe him when Jonah says that I'm your son. And she goes, no. My son is dead, or my only son, uh, he's at Heaven's Gate in in Colorado, and his name's Joshua. I have a picture of him in my boot, Mm -hmm. uh, in my shoe. Jonah gives, uh, had given his mother some booze in the hopes uh, to get this information from her, and also at this point where she reveals that uh, she was kidnapped and the whole thing was set up. Uh, to trap Jonah by El Papagayo. Right. So uh, it's at this point where uh, Jonah gets the picture out of the boot, and he does get one last little bit uh, with his mother that goes exactly how you would think Jonah and his mother's uh, back and forth would go. She passes, and now Jonah's thing is, I got, I know I have a brother out here, a half-brother, uh, Jonah builds a casket to put his mother in, and he is going to deliver the remains of his mother to his here to uh, here to 
for unknown half brother at Heaven's Gate, Colorado. Mm hmm. Uh, not before he is going to be uh, loquacious and lecherous with the aforementioned bar wench, uh, commenting on how she looks pleasing from certain angles and certain lights. <laughs> yes. Again, this is the family show. I'm with you. So Jonah now leaves from Arizona to head to Colorado, and they come to the town, Heaven's Gate, where there is no booze. There is no saloon. There are no houses of ill repute. Uh, His brother is the preacher and the sheriff of the town, and there are no guns allowed in town. Uh, Jonas stinks. Uh, The casket with his mother in it stinks as well. Jonah is requested to go to the hot springs to clean himself up a bit, and he does. Uh, But Jonah is not in any mood to uh, make friends or anything of that nature, rekindle any sort of familial what-have-yous with his half-brother. It was more or less like, listen, she was our mother. You have a right to know. This is what you're going to do. You bury her. I'm out of here. And then, of course, the brother convinces Jonah to stay, leave his guns. And and again, another rare moment of heart, uh, I was shocked to see Jonah actually relinquish his guns um, you know, for the time that he was going to stay in this town, you know? Right. That I Like, he's naked without those. Right. And I definitely think it was because Dag, his dog, was able to, uh, you know, not... Uh, it was kind of Jonah's compass here to get a read on this person, right? Yep. And he kind of gives him the, the paws up. Yes. So now we find out that Papagayo is on Jonah's trail as he comes to that saloon where Jonah had found his mother. Uh, Papagayo, you know, brutally kills everyone left there uh, at the saloon, uh, prepares and attempts to do things to the underage daughter of the saloon keeper. And this is where we get Papagayo's origin story. Uh Remember when, hey, you guys like Papagayo, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Is he in this story? Yeah. What's he doing in this story? Well, he's a little boy and he's sad. (laughs) That's essentially his origin. Uh, His family uh, were the ones that wrangled the parrots to sell to other people, and they made a very good living as such. And wouldn't you know it, uh, drunk uh, drunk, lecherous gambler, Woodson Hex comes along and is like, I'm going to take these parrots. I don't need you people. Kills all the men and the children and says, all we need is the women to take care of this. El Papagayo himself escapes. um, But forever now, the Hex family is his uh, enemy and rival. And that's why uh, he is uh, so hell-bent on taking down Jonah Hex putting together such a long and complex plan to take him down, you know? Yep. And this is the first time we're ever hearing this. Uh, I assumed as much. Yep. El El Papagayo never had an origin. And even when he first showed up all the way back in like Jonah Hex four or whatever, five, I forget what 10 maybe of the bronze age run, he shows up and he's just like, he kind of knows who Hex is and you're kind of figure it's because of his like, you know, legacy or whatever, but he always just had a thing for him. Just like hated him. And we never found out like 30 years later, we get this and you know, I'll give you my opinion later. (laughs) 
We get this. Uh, we then see Jonah at dinner with his bro- half brother and the family. Uh, Jonah makes offense of his wife in front of the children. And again, it was a different time and you can't judge. But, you know, I think Jonah might have been right here. Mm-hmm. And let's just leave it at that. Yes. Uh, Jonah does regale the children because they did ask with the story of how he got his face to look the way that it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonah did sneak some booze with him. He's not going to stay in the house. He's just going to sleep in the bar, the barn next door. Uh, the brother comes out already uh, full of you know what and vinegar. Like, how dare you insult me and degrade me in front of my wife and in front of her children? Uh, come on, let's go. And Jonah's like, I'm not going to fight you. Leave me alone. Let me live in peace. Let me stay in here and drink. And I'll leave in the morning after everything's done, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, again, a rare bit of Jonah showing a bit of a heart. Like, because, you know, how many stories have we read where Jonah just, like, puts a whipping on everyone? You know, he very easily could have put the whipping on the on on his, uh, on, on his brother, on Joshua, you know? Yep. But I wonder how it would have turned out. Joshua was uh, packing there within those arms, you know? No, nah, I don't know. Jonah's, you know, we don't see Jonah lose very often, that is you know? True. Uh, so they have a funeral, they bury the mother, they give Jonah an opportunity to say something, he refuses, of course, Jonah is ready to leave, uh, but as he is leaving, he sees off in the distance El Papagayo and his men, Jonah goes back to, uh, Heaven's Gate and says, hey, listen, uh, obviously doesn't say it like this, but he's like, hey, man, I screwed up, uh, this, there's a big band. Uh, there's a guy, El Papagayo. He's got a band of uh, banditos coming uh, with him. And whether I'm here or not, they're coming here and they're going to rip this town apart. Okay. Yep. So you either listen to me and when you like evacuate or defend ourselves or, you know, you're, you're kind of on your own. Right. And they're like, how dare you do this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know I did wrong, but. This is what I'm trying to do to save you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's either time to listen or it's time to die. Yep. And they decide to listen. Uh, Jonah has the elderly folk and the children escape as far into the woods as they possibly can. Uh, gets any gets the rest of the men to get any sort of armaments, any sort of thing that can be fashioned or constructed into a weapon and go into hiding. Uh, when El Papagayo and his men come into town, they see the town pretty much deserted except for Dag. And I'm sad that the dog got shot. Yep. That was, I broke my heart. Yeah. You know me, I'm not much of a pet person, but here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this does lead to a soliloquy of one of El Papagayo's men, uh, saying like, Hey, I'm a really good shot. Look how good of a shot I was here. Um, why don't I go hide somewhere? And, you know, we get the opportunity to shoot Jonah. We just shoot Jonah when he's least suspecting it, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get, like, a bit of, like, I guess, honor out of El Papagayo, where he's like, what is the point in killing a man such as Hex without seeing the life run from his eyes? Maybe even hearing him beg, you know? I don't think of it as honor so much as sadism. Well, listen, uh, honor to some is sadism to others, let's say, right? Yep. 
So Jonah's plan was to have all of the women of uh, uh, Heaven's Gate go into the uh, hot spring that was in town uh, to serve as a distraction to El Papagayo as his men uh, as they were distracted by the beauty of the number of naked women there that lied and said that, no, there's a women's only town. There's no men here. Uh, and they make their advances. Jonah and the rest of the male residents of Heaven's Gate spring out from the waters, from their hiding spots, take down all of uh, Papagayo's men with little casualty for the, the men folk of uh, uh, Heaven's Gate. I think they only lost, what, uh, three or four people, maybe five or six. One, two, three, four, five, six people. I'd say that's not too bad. No. Uh, but we do get our final showdown, of course, between Jonah Hex and uh, El Papagayo. And uh, it was not before uh, the uh, Jonah's half-brother and the rest of the men uh, essentially are like, okay, well, we're just going to turn Jonah over to him because El Papagayo is like, no, 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 you bring me Jonah Hex and I'll spare the rest of you. Uh, and Jonah's like, he's lying. He has no children. He swears on the life of his children. He's lying. Don't believe him. Don't believe him. Uh, they don't believe Jonah. They turn Jonah over to El Papagayo. And of course, El Papagayo is a liar and he starts shooting on the town folks, of course. Uh, so like I said, we get our final battle between Jonah and El Papagayo. And I thought it was a good bit where, uh, El Papagayo stabs Jonah through the arm with that big giant knife. And then while the uh, the knife is still stuck in Jonah's arm, Jonah uses that to uh, kill El Papagayo. Good kill. Definitely a good kill. Yes. Uh, I'm a big fan of sick kills in these books, and this one had a lot of them. Right. And uh, it is with that, um, you know, that the brother feels sorry, helps Jonah nurse himself back up to health. Time has passed. We don't know how much time has passed, but we assume that it's going to be a bit because now there's snow on the ground. Uh, Jonah leaves, and that's kind of like how the story ends. Well, actually, he goes to the grave site, and here alone is where Jonah gets to have his uh, final words with his mother. And then right next to his mom's tombstone is a tombstone for the dog. Right. And I like two things because earlier in the story, Joshua tells him, he's like, your mother did leave, but every night she would like cry at night and say Jonah's name and, and be sad about him. And like the whole thing was the father ended up lying and saying, oh, it was like Jonah from the Bible. And that's how Joshua ends up reading. So she actually had genuine remorse for what she did to Jonah. But she had known if she had stayed that uh, Woodson would have murdered her at some point because he came close so many times they show it in this book. And I really like that. And he ends up having his moment was like, all right, maybe, you know, it wasn't, but I kind of get why you did it. And he, and he has it. And I do like the fact that he leaves uh dag there, but once again, another, like his whole life, his father pretty much betrayed him. His mother betrayed him, but you know, uh, was felt bad about it. His wife left him with, with the thing, his brother turned him over. Now his half brother turned him over to his uh, oh, you know, his worst enemy, uh, his one lover, like lied to him about having a kid with him to Lula. I'm like, man, I know it seems like a lot when you say it all up, but like between Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray doing these stories, it all works to like le legitimate reasons why these things happen. And when it comes down to it after issue 50, maybe this is my favorite Jonah Hex story ever. 
Yeah, and again, I feel as though I spent a ton of time on this, but this is essentially like a six-issue miniseries to like r- recap in one clip, you know? I- I'm with you, but I really didn't see any other way to do this issue. Nope, absolutely not. Right, like, oh, we're going to do the first 20 pages and then the next 20 pages or whatever, so. But you like this story? Yeah, absolutely. No, it makes me wonder if this was pitched as to be like some sort of giant collection to be solicited as a separate story, to be solicited as to go alongside with the movie coming out, because it definitely reads like like issues collected. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. It has the breaks, the epilogues, yeah, the, the, yeah. the cliffhangers. But I would definitely say from what I remember, and I can't, don't hold me to this because, like, you know, this is 11 years ago and, and reading interviews, that this was done with Tony as a standalone one shot to to go with the movie. Like an original, because it's like, it's always portrayed as the original graphic novel one way, like, you know, one story all the way through. So that's the way I figure it. Like maybe he had J- Jimmy and Justin had an idea for it to be a six issue mini, like at some point. But I think once it was started, it was like, oh, there's something to go with the movie. And then because of the movie uh, tanking, we, you know, it pretty much ruined the book. But. You think so? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, didn't did you ever did you see that tweet with Jimmy Palmiotti a while back? Maybe. About the the movie comes out and tanks. Oh, and the, okay, yeah, yeah. I thought you said the graphic novel tanked the series, but no, no, no. The movie tanked everything. The movie, yeah. yeah, the movie comes out and tanks it because they have all this stuff in stores and none of it sells because the movie's utter trash. Yeah. And they it all got sent back to DC, and they're like, ah, like you know, we're at fifth issue fifty six. It only goes fourteen more issues, and I guarantee you the way they've talked in interviews that they had stories done. Like they, they would be months ahead and just give stories to artists to draw that they might've had eight stories in the, in the tank already. So they go like, Oh, you get 12 more, you know, but anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm tweeting Jimmy Palmiotti now. Oh, he loves when we ask him questions about the project he did 20 years ago. And you know, you know what I mean? I yeah, think he's know, kind of- so we support his stuff currently. Uh, mm-hmm. Just as I said, just finished reading No Way Back for my podcast. Uh, was this always intended as a standalone graphic novel, or was this uh, to be a multi-issue arc as part of the main series? Okay, I hope you get an answer. Jimmy Palmiotti is a good reply guy, you know. He is. He is. Might be past his bedtime. I hope he's getting some rest. You know, he deserves it. Yeah, he's up uh, writing extra issues of Invincible uh, Red Sonja. Yes. Uh, so next week, uh, we have two and two, uh, two issues of Spider-Man, uh, Sensational number four, and Amazing Spider-Man number 411, the beginnings of the Blood Brothers story arc. Mm-hmm. And uh, issues 57 and 58 of Jonah Hex. Right. Ooh, we're 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 coming into November. Only two months left. That's right. Uh, so Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did, and it was only Mayan, um, which was uh, all six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton in my sketchbook by uh, Chris Schweizer. Um, as I said, he was a delight to talk to. Um, he was at the top of my get list and has great taste in movies. If you ever see him at a con, I recommend getting something from him, whether you get a sketch 
and or a print. He does a lot of prints, like I said, of the movies and other stuff that he does. But uh, the story behind this was I really wanted to get uh, the sidecar, which was, you know, the car from the, the, the story. But he goes, oh, man, he goes, anytime I draw sidecar, that that's a real car that he took from uh, for the book, which was a prototype, kind of like the Batmobile from the 60s show was a prototype that they tweaked. So he tweaked it. So he bought a model of the car and then modified it. So it looked so it looks like the one in the thing. Then anytime he had to draw it, he would move it into the position that he needed to. And he's like, so I always drew it from reference and I don't have it. I said, all right, well do your best. And he ends up drawing it out uh, two or three times on the sketchbook. He's like, stand and talk to me. I want you to talk to me. And as I did uh, the whole pot, like earlier in the show during the Baltimore con, he ended up like, you know, so I saw him erase it. He's like, he does it once, he does it twice, he does it third time. And I can hear him kind of like sigh. He goes, um, you know, and I said, I get it. Just draw me trigger key. He's like, you want trigger key? And I said, yeah, because um, this, there's six sidekicks. Um, I don't know, maybe one of them is the killer. I don't know, I don't want you, you, you to tell me. I'm like, but what if one of them is the killer and I pick that one and then he's the killer and I get all sad? Um, then, you know, uh, that, and I go, and then if he goes, yeah, he goes, I get you. So he starts drawing, he goes, I got an idea. So he starts drawing and I can see that he's roughing out the six of them. And I go, wow, I'm like, you're doing the six of them? And I'm like, well, you know, like you gave me a price on it for one guy. He goes, he goes yeah, he goes, I'm in a bit of a jam where if I pick a guy, then you're going to think, I'm not saying any of the sidekicks are the killer, but you're going to think, well, that guy is definitely not the killer. So that rules him out and ruins the story. But if I do this, so basically I'm just going to draw all six and put a little question mark in the middle. And, you know, you could live to decide up to you if it turns out to be or turns out not to be. He goes, but that's the way we're going to do it. I was like, oh, I didn't think I'd get six. He goes, if you'd asked me for six, you weren't getting six. But I felt bad because <laughs> I couldn't draw sidecar. He goes, so there you go. And I was like, doesn't matter. And because I told him I love sidecar so much, he put crank it in it. Um, Joe, like, I don't often gush. I love this piece so much it was what i went for what i wanted granted i did not you know get sidecar but i think this is like six times better if you will so i really enjoy it and i worked on maybe buying an original piece that he had that he has from like one of the prints that we'll discuss if i get it i said i need some recuperating time after baltimore he's like no problem contact me in a couple of weeks and we'll talk but i love this piece joe I know what I would have requested if he didn't already have it as a print. What? Uh, you know, on the back of each issue, they have the deal where it's kind of like the signed 8x10 of Trigger Keaton. Yes. I would have had him do that, like a legitimate one for me. Right. Well, that's kind of why I kind of went for Trigger Keaton, but he chose for me, and I think the artist was right. But I get you, because if he had original art, granted he didn't bring he brought original art from other stuff with him but if he had original art pages i would have went through them and like scoffed up a ton but if he had had that or the ad for martial art on the back which was like him doing the 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 the, the kick or whatever something like that but this works out much better and one of the jokes that i did was i was like uh yeah uh, unless the car turns out to be the killer and he looked at me i said i'm not looking at you i'm not looking at you so you don't give it away and he's like you think maybe the car's the killer and i'm like i don't know i love this book uh can't wait for six to come out 
Absolutely. Um, so uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be uh, past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. Don't forget to do your football picks. We're a little bit more than halfway through the season, less than halfway through the season. Uh, whoever Jake Strap is, they're tied with first place with the aforementioned Chris Runt of uh, Battle Monsters. Todd is tied with his uh, Never Gonna Happen Football Helmet Podcast co-host, Marcus. <laughs> and uh, I think both Adam and I are just as equally mathematically eliminated from uh, any sort of picks or standings or first place finishes at this point. I don't know. Uh, uh, Vansky's only four wins wins out. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't know. He gets emotional over football. So we'll he see. He certainly does. <laughs> Uh, you can check out our store, a uh, little link there across the masthead where you can buy shirts and pins and uh, stickers uh, of our fancy logo directly from me. I got them here in the office. Uh, they're not dusty, I promise. Uh, <laughs> if you want more things inspired by more shows, whether it be this show, Long Bucks Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Plays, Hit My Music, head over to our T Public store tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes uh, this weekend until Sunday, 35% off everything. You can get those designs on everything from cell phone cases to throw pillows to notebooks and everything in between. Uh, also, you can help us out by signing up for our Patreon. $5 a month is going to get you those two bonus shows, Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's uh, previews catalog to see what the world of comic books looked like 30 years ago. And six never seen movies, which is getting ready to wrap up here shortly. We only got two movies left. And if you listen to After Dark last week, then you maybe have an idea of what next year's movie project on the Patreon is going to be. Uh, And of course, the $5 level gets you After Dark two days before everyone else so that you get to listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm hmm. Uh, Another way that you could help us out is by uh, making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through. Does not cost you anything extra. Uh, They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. And that's all linked up through the banner at the top of the page on every page on longboxheroes.com. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include... Uh, somebody purchased the Star Wars Poe Dameron graphic novel. Uh, somebody also purchased the Star Wars Age of the Rebellion Heroes and Villains books. Ooh. Somebody also purchased a Funko Pop from the Falcon and Winter Soldier of the Falcon Flying. Good. And somebody also purchased a Lizler, L-Z-L-E-R brand, jean jacket, classic ripped slim denim jacket with holes in red. Oh, I thought it was in orange. Yeah, I, well, listen, I, when I saw it was a jean jacket, you don't wear an orange just because his name is orange. Don't mean he wears an orange jacket. He means uh, he eats I, them, right? What was that? He eats oranges before a match. He drinks orange juice. Oh, okay. Spits into the eyes of his opponents. Dirty wrestler. Right. He's clean. I'd say OC is one of the cleaner ones, you know? Right. And I'll just say this. When when they dress up as you, you're the star. Keep that in mind. I still want somebody to go to, as Halloween as me. It's not a hard costume, Joe. As you? 
yeah, just get a black T-shirt with a pocket, blue jeans, and Converse sneakers. You're good to go. I will. Uh, I, I am going to my kids like Halloween, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, at his school this week. And I did already. The bounty is already out there. That if there's a kid who's dressed like Orange Cassidy, I'm just giving him five bucks. Oh, okay. And if there's a and if there's a kid at at his school that's dressed like you, I'm giving him ten. <laughs> I double the the on the lope for the Todd cosplay. Oh boy. I'm no learning. lope. It's just gonna be it's gonna be a, a sweaty fistful of ones. Okay, I'm learning the lingo from somebody, Joe. Yeah, that's that's lingo you don't want to pick up. Okay. Uh, so I think that's everything before we get into TV talk, eh? I believe so, Joe. Okay. So uh, I think, uh, thank you for listening. Maybe you're not watching the TV shows. There's a lot of them. Uh, but we're going to get into starting with discussion of the oldest of the shows, which is uh, Stargirl, eh? Yes, yes. Um. So last we left Stargirl, she was... Uh, sucked into the shadow realm or whatever they're calling it. I get confused because there's so many shadow based areas in in comic books. Um, the 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 subtitles tell me it's the shadow lands. The shadow land. Okay, but uh, just to start off, it's they come home and to Barbara without uh, Courtney, and she ends up crying. And a little later in the episode, we get a bit between Beth and Jade, where I do like where Jade is like sad because she ends up. Uh, it was because she was, you know, distracted or her emotions don't work well with the powers just yet that she feels that she lost Courtney and, uh, Beth has a great line where she's like, and yeah, and I'm terrified. I can't stop crying, but I'm afraid to take the goggles off and they're filling up with tears. And I'm like, that's a, that, I thought that was a really good moment, um, in the comic, especially the Beth bit with the, like, you know, the, the tears and the goggles. But um, basically, most of the episode takes place in the the, the shadows, and um, Courtney seeing people from her past, a la the magician and the the, the the younger magician, and she's like, "Oh, like aren't these people kind of gone?" He does the trick over, and that she when she first met him, it's like creepy, and she ends up being attacked by them because he's like, "You're gonna lie and say that's my card again," and she kind of leaves, but then she jumps to another spot, and she's in school. And things are like happening. Like it's always like weird takes on something that's previously happened or people that she knows. And then in it, Cindy ends up attacking her and they, it gets, it gets her with the knife. And she's like, wait a minute, the, the shadow people in here don't bleed. You're real. How did you get here? And they end up, Cindy ends up explaining how the shadows work that it's, you know, it's, it's trying to get at you through your emotions, try to wear you down by showing you things that are going to hurt you or make you mad or make you sad. And so basically it's been Cindy fighting and killing her father, the dragon man, because you know, that was what was supposed to wear down, but she loves it because she's evil. And she's like, as long as I get to kill my father a thousand times, I'll survive in here. And, uh, they end up separating because Courtney's like, I'm going to find a way out. You're already broken. Um, she ends up finding Dr. Midnight who was left in there from the shade and he ends up explaining, I'm still here because of the goggles. This is what the place looks like. And he's like, yes, Courtney's right. If you don't have hope, you're going to, uh, to, to wear down and it's going to destroy you like various other people that have been sucked into here. Um, 
And uh, Midnight says, I think the shade was trying to save me because he thinks we're friends or whatever happened. He was, I believe he was never really a part of the ISA and evil. Um, while that's happening out on in the real world, Jade ends up using her power to find said shade. Who's watching the portrait of Dorian Gray in the theater at the, in the town and they go see him. He's alive, but wounded. He only did what he did to put the, the uh, gem back together because the diamond, because he thought it would help him. And it did, but he's still, because the diamond was cursed, he's dying anyway. As long as he's in the shadows, he'll live longer. But Barbara ends up making him use his powers to connect to the shadow realm and uses the projector to go in there. And Courtney ends up seeing this with Dr. Midnight. He's like, come on out. She's like, no, I'm not leaving without Cindy. She goes back and gets Cindy, who was like still fighting her father, but won't wear her down, but they bring in her mother and we get the ex explanation of her original mother, how she ended up killing her because dragon man had tweaked her so many times that, uh, to make her dragon queen that maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was. And Courtney ends up getting her and they all get out. Dr. Midnight, Courtney, Cindy. And in the end, Cindy's like, all right, who wants to get together and kill Eclipso? I'm down for this. And now maybe Cindy has been brought in to, you know, the, the group with a, with a tr bit of a truce while they take care of Eclipso. Um, I really like this episode. Yeah. Uh, this feels like a very good ramping up to the end. Uh, I don't really think the shade is dead, but I definitely think he's been so weakened that he just couldn't hold his form together. Uh, right. We might see like a last frame uh, redo of the shade coming back to help everyone. Yep, I forgot to say that he sacrifices himself, and I'm doing air quotes right now. But I think yeah. he's really dead, Joe. Comics, when you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. So, no, I get you. Uh, now that they have Cindy with them, they have the person who won't hesitate to kill Eclipso when the time comes to need be. So that takes some of the heat off Yolanda and anyone else that may had to kill Eclipso when the moment came. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this was a good episode. Uh, I think you covered everything. I don't know what else. Uh, I, I noticed that with the uh, little boy, uh, uh, Bruce Gordon, yep. uh, Eclipso, uh, obviously when he was uh, taunting Beth in earlier episodes and he was super racist, I yep. like that they've kind of gone away from the super racist little cute boy. Well, like I said, it's because racism isn't going to get Courtney. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he uses... He uses all the stuff when he's got Courtney. He's like, look how you damaged your friends. You gave Yolanda the costume and look how she is. She's crying in a room and she's never going to be the same. And look what, because of what you did, look what happened to Rex. He's in a jail cell. And it's like, and that's where he ends up being like, how do you feel about me now? And she's like, I hate you. And in that, that's where he starts to get to her. But luckily you know, Barbara had, you know, coerced the shade into to helping him. So I get what you're saying. Like, I think he's only racist when he needs to be. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. But I get what you're saying. Uh, so moving over to Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, very busy episode, but let's focus on the main story, right? Mm -hmm. As the Legends plan is to get to New York uh, to meet up with that Dr. Davies. Uh, who is the inventor of time travel or is doing time travel experiments. 
But they learn that J. Edgar Hoover is needs to be on a train uh, leaving from where they are in Texas going to New York. Luckily, that's where they're going. So Nate has Gary mix up a potion that is going to make Nate look like J. Edgar Hoover instead of just being the fake J. Edgar Hoover like he was in the the first issue of this first issue, first episode of the season. Uh, There's a bunch of hijinks and shenanigans that ensue as at one of the stations they come across two guys that say there's people on the lookout to try to kill J. Edgar Hoover. So they do a whole bunch of investigating of people on the train, and one would assume that the higher class folks like J. Edgar Hoover very much, and the lower class folks do not like J. Edgar Hoover very much at all. Right. Uh, but it turns out the most simplest solution that I knew immediately from the moments that they showed up with the two guys that came on the train in suits claiming that they were the ones that were attempting to help J. Edgar Hoover, with the ones that were there to get him. They are working for Al Capone to try to get J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, we have a big standoff between the legends and J. Edgar Hoover and Al Capone, but the, by the time that they get to him with the train being stopped, uh, the potion has worn off, and J. Edgar or uh, Nate or uh, Al Capone just sees Nate as Nate. But then J. Edgar Hoover shows up anyway, starts blasting everyone. They get the jump on that J. Edgar Hoover, and that J. Edgar Hoover is essentially a. TV show budget T-800. <laughs> right. And I would just like to say none of those gangsters were Al Capone. No? They were working for Al Capone. Oh, they are working for Al Capone. My because apologies. he says, he goes like, you're. I'm supposed to have J. Edgar Hoover and I got this nobody when the potion wears off. He goes, so-and-so, which was the nickname for Al Capone, is going to bump Snorky? Yeah, something like that. So they're like, they, I think Al Capone is going to be like, the overarching villain, if you will, of this story. Hmm. But, you know, obviously, and the J. Edgar Hoover robots, so. Right. Uh, Then we have other stuff going on with them, uh, with uh, Spooner and uh, Astra. Astra trying to get Gideon to talk, who can't talk and can't communicate. Uh, But when Spooner touches uh, Gideon, human Gideon, she could read her thoughts. Mm-hmm. And from this, this is where they get the idea of if this is still going on, what we're currently watching on the TV show, then whatever their plan is to go and get to this guy in New York who is doing the time travel stuff didn't work. Right, because they would have come several seconds after they left right, to pick everybody up. Correct. And also, really quick, at the end of this, Gideon can talk. Because she touched her somehow. Yes. And then I guess in the other story, we have Zari is still in John's house or whatever that bridge is that like links everything up with the key that John had given them. Mm -hmm. And she is attempting to figure things out of the multiple timeline stuff because the fridge keeps replicating the same bottle of whiskey over and over and over again. Right. And it's kind of like, well, if we have a wave rider and then there was another wave rider that came, where did that wave rider come from? One would assume if that wave rider came from somewhere, there must be more wave riders out there. So there might be a plan afoot to try to find another timeline where there's another wave rider so they can kind of get things straightened out in their timeline. Yep, pretty much. 
So they seemed very ill-concerned about uh, correcting mistakes that they were making in posing as J. Edgar Hoover and the bullet blonde stuff and all that sort of thing in this episode. Kind of. I mean, uh, Nate wanted to save everything. Like, he was like, we have to. But the other ones are like, we'll fix it in post. Right? Yes. So... We'll see. I don't know. I'm interested. I like the wackiness of this season, and the new opening is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more light and fun. I definitely did like this quite a bit. Right. So speaking of light and fun, on to Why the Last Man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so um, I, I, I feel as though we're in the minority in liking this show. You know, I, I like this show quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I know friend of the show, previous contributor to uh, Todd's Art Attack, Dave Puente, is a big fan of this show. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like raw, raw on social media, trying to get people to watch it as it wraps up here. But um, this episode definitely felt like stuff that they had in the can ready to go in case they didn't get picked up. I kind of disagree. Okay. I honestly feel like I don't know how you would. I feel this was all shot and it was going to go into next season. That's, but you know, they get the, they get the no green light three quarters of the way through. They're not just going to re-edit a TV show to put out. You know what I mean? If you get what I'm saying. Okay. I get what you're saying, but hang on. How about think of it like this, that they made two versions of this final uh, the second to last episode right mm-hmm. and one episode was gonna build toward the final episode where we know we're getting a season two and one is gonna build to a final episode where we know we're not getting a season two and i think the main crux of this is uh the fact that they kind of blew off uh the whole thing with regina I get what I get what you're saying. Yeah. But but that being said, why still shop it around if you're going to try and end it in the first season? Touche. You know, like they're all like we're hoping that this gets picked up by HBO Max or Netflix or whatever, but we're going to wrap everything up in the first season. Mhm. So I think this was the way it was going to go. I think um, I'm not even sure. Well, we'll discuss because as the episode goes on with the, with Diane Lane's character, the president, this, I even don't even think, I think she's going to be looking for us. I think regardless of whatever, at this point, we were going to diverge from the book greatly, even more than we already had. Of course. And again, we're, we're into walking dead territory. You know, we're so past like what happens in issue six of walking dead. It's a completely different TV show. From the comic book where they're going to sprinkle in some of the comic book stuff as need be. Right. Hit the beats as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. We have everyone in this this <laughs> episode, so there's a lot more going on. I'll do my best to kind of cover this as best as I can. Um, but everything's kind of converging to each other because let's, uh, so let's use these folks as our kind of through line to everything. Whereas, um, uh, Roxanne, uh, you know, after last episode when, 
Nora. Nora is kind of like, listen, I have this over you. You know, you need to like give me prefer, give me and my daughter preferential treatment. It seems as though Roxanne isn't doing that in this. It seems as though Roxanne is kind of like, well, yeah, that's what you said, Nora, but I've kind of rallied everyone and they're going to follow me regardless of what hold you may or may not have over me. Right. Because they find there's a group of women uh, that have a museum of men set up. And these are women that very much miss the men of the world. Roxanne and her group very much of an Amazonian type mentality come and they're going to wreck the joint. But the whole time Nora is attempting to say, like, listen, whatever we're going to do, we need to preserve like food and water and shelter. Let's let's go crazy, but let's not go too crazy. So, of course, Roxanne gets everyone all fired up. They show up and they're just tearing things over, dumping entire full gallons of water, destroying like entire crates of, of cereal and stuff like this. And Nora is just freaking out. Right. I love that bit. Well, not bit, but it's the fact of like how far Roxanne has gone down now. And I love the fact of the hall of men, the world of men or whatever has all the voicemails. Yeah. Like that's their sideshow opportunity is the voice of men from like, you know, the uh, live again or whatever. I'm like, this whole thing is great. And Nora later taking bits from the voicemails that she hears and using it for herself it it's really good and i was i was aggravated like yeah i shouldn't have been i got hot when all of them start breaking like the sugar pops in the water i'm like yeah you want to destroy all men fine but you know what you need to do eat and drink to do that like yeah. it was so it was so maddening to watch that show absolutely mm-hmm uh, so we get a bit there with nora still trying to work hero in in, in all of this as you mentioned, using those bits from those voicemails to try to, like, manipulate Hero a little bit, but then also mentions, like, well, listen, I know what you did. Um, you know, maybe you shouldn't share your secrets with Roxanne because she's just going to tell everyone, you know? Yeah, don't don't give your secrets to Roxanne because she's not worthy of them. I love that bit. So, yeah. sorry, I, I'll, I'll slow down interrupting. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So that's what we're supposed to be doing here. We're supposed to be having a, a, a discussion of this. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, I will notice that there are some parts, and again, this just might be me reading a little bit too much into this, uh, especially with my theories in uh, regards to what was shot and knowing where things are going to go. And I think you've kind of disproved that. But for for a majority of this, right, Nora has no makeup on, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's a bit at the end where it appears as though she does. Okay. And... It just felt as though, like, this might have been something that was picked up or shot after the fact. It's like, we need something to kind of explain what we're going to do next. So, you know, we can't exactly match how Nora looked without makeup. Let's try to put her in makeup to get her as close to looking without makeup as possible. But again, that just might be me with an HDTV looking at things a little bit too closely than I should be. Trying to find things that aren't there. On all honesty, Joe, I'll... I'll argue with you and, and, you know, banter back and forth on your other thing that they read that they shot different scenes, but to go back and they have people that can't figure out how to make her look like she did in the, the footage they have that I'm not buying. Okay. Again, you know what I mean? These are my theories, right? Right. Um, so, and again, there's, I'm just asking questions. That's the sort of guy I am. You're an asking questions guy. That's right. 
Uh, so there are a few stragglers from the uh, Museum of Men that are hanging around the wreckage and everything that uh, Roxanne and her crew did. And um, one of them mentions that she's leaving. She's headed toward Boston because she hears that there is a man there. Um, and they also have food and they also have water and they also have electricity. Um, Nora uses this information because Roxanne's new plan is there's hundreds of men out there. We're going to find them and kill them all. Yep. So Nora, with this information that she got from one of the stragglers from the Museum of Men people, convinces Roxanne this is where they need to go, shows her the sketch that they have of this man that they saw, and wouldn't you know who won the pony? It's York. Right. So it's pretty much that town with the uh, women from the prison. Yes. Uh, So obviously the stuff with the women in the prison is everyone kind of breaking off into their own little relationships. Uh, Yorick with Sonia there, uh, Sonia having a little bit of piece of business with 355 where she finds the tracer that was in the van. Yep. And, uh, 355 is trying to like, you know, do her usual 355 stuff. And Sonia's like, you don't scare me. You could try. And I thought the shot was like that whole scene was shot perfectly well. Yeah. I thought the tension was great between the two of them. And I loved seeing someone stand up to 355. Yep. And I like, that's all that she's like, I'm not scared of you. I was in prison kind of a deal. And you know what? You know what I'm also, you know what? We're not that different, but you know where we are different? I'm not afraid to say that I care for York. And that, that ticks off 355 so much because I love the bit before at the Jamboree where uh, York, you know, challenges her to a dancing contest and that's the the bits of real that are fun in this you know pandemic men are dead world like i really like that bit between york and 355 right uh dr man is going uh to find herself someone uh to be with as well and 355 is just kind of dealing with uh her past and we get a lot of this through flashbacks a lot of it is still uh, mostly unclear, but we're getting enough of the information. Um, and 355 kind of gets away from everyone and destroys whatever that tracker that she had, uh, with her, which I guess was whatever that militia group that she's part of, that secret society, secret group. Now they can't find her, but I'm assuming it's too late. Uh, that tracker has been on enough that they're on the right track. See, I don't think that has anything to do with... The militia, I think that's got to do with the Culper ring. Well, that's what I mean. The, cul- the, the the group that she's a part of, the Culper ring. Yes, yes. Okay, militia. I was thinking you were talking about the militia that she she infiltrated in the first episode. Nope. I'm sorry. My, got- my apologies. I'm not being I got clear. you. I got you. Uh, so that's what we kind of get there. And then, of course, the White House. Uh, Regina oh. is circling the troops, getting everyone on her side to do a coup. To take over from Jennifer, uh, essentially one to call her out on the carpet that her son is alive and was here. And uh, using the uh, the one uh, the one head of uh, the military person who was like, listen, two, you know, two of my pilots were murdered. I definitely think she's covering it up or she had something to do with it. Um, You know, so, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you, Regina. 
And of course, Kim, arguably the worst character on the show. Mm -hmm. Because while they do this whole big calling Jennifer out on the carpet, uh, she takes this opportunity to also accuse Christina of being part of whatever Jennifer is up to. Where in the previous episode and later in this very episode, Kim is like, no, we must protect Christine at all costs. Except when it's to get me some sort of position of power, I'll immediately throw you under the bus, pregnant or not. See, I think, in my opinion, you've misread this this situation with her. Now, okay. Kim's a terrible person. I will give you that. But Kim is not wrong when she goes after uh, the assistant. I forget the name, apparently. She's like, wait a minute. She knows she's the one who transmitted the order to, 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 uh, relocate or transfer these people. She ends up giving all the proof and it's 100% true. And then she ends up saying, well, listen, she's the president. When all this comes down, if you're the only two who know, who do you think's taken the fall oh, for her kid? You, Kim is 100, a dirt bag but 100% right in this situation. You're about to lose power. What What are you going to do about it? And I honestly don't think it is so much to throw her under the bus. It's to get back at the president because she believes she's the one who murdered her mother, not so much pulling the trigger, but by making her think she was crazy, jump off the building. But in her heart of heart, even though Kim's a dirtbag, she will do anything she can to protect that baby, but because she wants it, um, and even later on when somebody tries to like push her or whatever, she's like, she ends up attacking them. And I'm like, so I'm with you that Kim is a very like, like evil person, but I do believe there are bits of somewhat good in her, but I, that's not like saying she's a good person. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Sure. Um, but as the, so, but Jennifer definitely sticks up and is like, no, no, Christina didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was all me. She didn't, you know, I kept her in the dark as well, trying to protect her. But as this happens, the insurgents that Beth is a part of set off their explosives underneath the Pentagon. They're under attack. We need to evacuate. We need to get everyone out of here to a safe spot. Uh, not that it matters. They run afoul of the said attackers, militia, whatever you want to call them. And the leader of them, uh, Malika, uh, while all of this is going on, you know, they're like, oh, we need to speak to the president, right? Mm -hmm. The people outside, we need to know the president is safe, goes to Jennifer. And they're like, no, 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 they want to speak to her. They want to speak to Regina. And as soon as they put the uh, walkie-talkie or whatever it is in front of Regina, Regina just immediately like sells them out. And they slap Regina in the face. Oh, it was uh, Kim all, who did that. Sorry? It was Kim who did that. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought it was Regina who was the one who freaked out. No, she gives him the thing, and she's like, where's, like, you talk to them and find out who the president is, like, who they want to talk to. And as soon as they do, Kim's like, we're in the war room. And they're like, great, she gave us away. Now we have to move, kind of a deal. But so as they're moving, uh, this one, Regina has her kind of freak out and kind of sells everyone else down the river. Malika's trying to get her to shut up so that they can keep moving before the army comes in and starts shooting them up. And Malika ends up just shooting Regina right in the head. Right. But before she does that, uh, 
uh, Regina goes like, all of this is her fault. She was there the night before this all happened. She must know something because her son's still alive. And Beth like is like looking at the president, like really like what happened, which is going to set things up in a few minutes. You know what I mean? Right. So obviously with Regina out of the picture, it's very much clear that of course, uh, Jennifer remains president. No one's really going to make any sort of push play, especially in the midst of all of this. Um, they do get away. As mentioned, Christina and Kim end up being together. Like I said, Kim's still the worst person in the world, but uh, she does uh, have another freak out herself and stab the uh, person who's attempting to go after Christina. And as Todd mentioned, we do get the bit with Beth and Jennifer together where without saying it, Jennifer tells Beth that York is still alive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of chaos at the end of this episode. Right. So, and again, I, I get what you were saying earlier, but I definitely feel as though they need to do something to give us a definitive epi- uh, ending here in the next episode, because we're not going to get a season two, at least anytime soon. I think you're going to get a big old cliffhanger mm. because that's the way they do TV. Now, I don't know how many TV shows last a season or two seasons and they, 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 they end on a cliffhanger and the networks are just like, well, it costs us money. We don't care if people are happy or not. Right. It'll just be another one on the pile of unsatisfying season endings. And that's a bummer. Though I do think it's going to end up at HBO Max. I kind of do. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm shocked it didn't start there, to tell you the truth. You know, as a project, I guess just because Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerrera kind of own it, I guess. Yeah. No, it's not a DC project like the Green Lantern one that's coming up. Kind of like the way Preacher ended up at AMC. So, I don't know. Right. Ooh, so, I think that's short... it for uh, TV, huh? Yeah, I think that's it for everything on this short show, Joe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, next week, you said that we have all three of these plus Doctor Who? Yeah. So, we'll kind of keep that a short show, Joe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that's definitely everything, and lots to look forward to next week. Right. Uh, so uh, for Todd, this is Joe closing on episode five seventy eight, Longbox Heroes. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.